Heavenly Father, as they just sang, Lord, in our bondage, you are our freedom. Lord, we were trapped in bondage to sin and death. But Lord, in your love and your grace and your mercy, even though that's what we deserve, Lord, you came. You lived a life of perfect obedience. Perfect obedience to the law. Perfect obedience to the Father. And Lord Jesus, you went to the cross. You died for us there in our place. You took our bondage. You took our shame. You took our guilt. And you paid the price for us so that we might be free in you. Lord Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Father God, thank you for sending the Son. And Father, thank you for sending the Holy Spirit and making that salvation real in us, alive in us, even now. Oh Father, today, as we come to your word, Lord, we pray that you would show us Show us the bondage that we once had. Show us the bondage in which the lost all around us are still enslaved to. Help us to see their bondage to sin. And Lord, stir in us a heart of compassion for those who are still in bondage so that we might take to them message of freedom in Jesus Christ speak to our hearts today Lord as I pray in Christ's name amen well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning turn with me to Genesis book of Genesis Genesis chapter 3 Genesis chapter 3 we'll be looking at verses uh, 1 through 19 specifically this morning, uh, but then next week we'll come back and, and finish that chapter out. But as we look at the passage today, I do want to read the entire, entire thing so that you see the whole story as a whole. I'll have to excuse me a bit this morning, I'm kind of overcoming a cold, so uh, if I have to Grab my water every once in a while, you'll understand. By way of review, let's remember where we are and what we're talking about here. We are in the midst of our study on gospel-shaped outreach. Gospel-shaped outreach. And we know that it is our, our task as a church, as the people of God, to take the gospel to the lost. Just to remind you about where we have been, we began this study asking that question how are we doing? How are we doing? How are we doing in the task of evangelism? And there we saw that we should be, we ought to be eager evangelists because the power of the gospel, or the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. The gospel that he has given us is the 
power of God unto salvation for all who believe. So we should be eager evangelists, eager to share our faith. Then we looked at the question of who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And looking at Revelation chapter 1, we saw that Jesus is God's appointed human king who is sovereign God himself. He is the redeemer and he is ever-present protector of the church. And therefore, he is worthy of our worship and our witness. And then last time we were in this, this series, of course last week we, we had a little break there as we had deacon ordination, but uh, the last time we were in this, we at, looked at that question, who are we? Who are we? And looking at 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 3, 3 through 16, we notice there that we are unworthy recipients of God's unmerited grace and as recipients of God's unmerited grace, we have a grave responsibility to proclaim God's grace to the lost. And so today we come to this question, who are we to reach? Who are we to reach? And so we come now to Genesis chapter 3 to look at who we are to reach. Who are the lost? Who are they? If you found your place there and, and you're able, this is a long reading, so if you're able, please stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden and in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord, the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to me to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? 
the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between her offspring and your offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing, in pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it were you taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take, of, uh, and take also of the fruit of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And may he write out on our hearts its truth upon our hearts. You may be seated. Church, I fear that we have lost a sense of who we are trying to reach. We typically think of those whom we are trying to reach as the lost or unbelievers. And we give them these titles, and I think because we give them these titles, we begin to lose sight of, of who they really are what their deepest problem is. We lose sight of their great and grand need. We need to see the lost. We need to get a fresh vision of who the lost truly is. We fail to see their true condition. And therefore, we fail to have the compassion for them that we ought to have. We need to see the loss for who they are. A people enslaved to sin. That's a term that Paul uses in the New Testament, but is a, a perfect term to describe 
the condition of the lost, those whom we are commanded by our Lord to go reach with the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are enslaved. They are enslaved to sin. We need to see that. We need to understand that. And to, in today's text, we, we go to the point of that enslavement. The fall of mankind when Adam chose to rebel against the truth of God and brought all of mankind into enslavement to sin. And so today, in today's text, I want us to see this, that the lost are enslaved to sin and their only hope, dear friend, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The lost are enslaved to sin and their only hope their only hope is the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ so today as we look at this text we will see three ways in which the lost are enslaved to sin remember this is our condition before we came to Christ dear Christian we see three ways in which the lost are enslaved to sin. And my desire for you today is that as you leave here, your heart would be stirred with compassion for your friends, your family, your neighbors who have not Christ, who are enslaved to sin. And you might take to them the good news of freedom in Jesus Christ. So let's look at our text this morning as we come to Genesis chapter 3. We need to understand what's taking place here. Of course, this is in the beginning, right? This is in the beginning. This is the very, begin, the very beginning of, of creation, the very beginning of history, and the very beginning of Holy Scripture. And we began with Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It tells us, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so Genesis chapter 1 tells us about the six days of creation, the six days that it took God to create the heavens and the earth. And then as we, we look at this, we began to see some things about creation. We noticed some things about creation. First of all, we noticed that in the beginning... There was perfection in creation. There was perfection in creation. Creation itself was absolutely, positively perfect. As we come to the end of the, those six days, the very last task that God does in creating the heavens and the earth is he, he creates the pinnacle of his creation. He creates man in his own image and his own likeness. And so as we come to the end of chapter 1 and verse 31, it says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Now, in every other day of creation, God looked at the, that which he had created that day, and he said, It was good. 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 But when we come to the sixth day, when he creates man in his image and likeness, he says it was very good. God created all of creation in absolute perfection. Everything was perfect, even man. 
Man was created in the image and likeness of God, and man was perfect. He was perfect. He was without sin. There was no evil. There was no brokenness, but it was all perfect. Second, we also notice that there was uh, perfect relations. There were perfect relations. As you come to chapter 2, you began to see uh, kind of a a step-by-step version of day 6, a step-by-step unfolding, a more full unfolding of the sixth day as God creates man in his own image and his own likeness. And there we see God creates man and woman. God looked to man, he saw Adam there, and he said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And so God saw Adam in the garden all alone, and he says, That's not good. It's not good that he should be alone. So he created a helpmate. He created woman. When Adam looked at at Eve, he said, Whoa, man right? Whoa, man. He he named her woman because he said, whoa, man, awesome. This is what I've been looking for. Someone made for me, someone to be in a relationship with me. And Adam and Eve were in perfect relationship. They were perfect in harmony. So it says at the end of chapter 2, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother And hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. They were perfect in relation. Not only was there perfect relation between the man and the woman, but there was also a a perfect relationship between man and God. God walked with man. In fact, we see in our text that God comes to to Adam and Eve in the garden, walking in the cool of the day, and he's calling out for them. You have to think that that was a normal practice for God, to come to the garden and walk with Adam and Eve and have a relationship, a perfect relationship with them in, in the garden. Creation was perfect. Creation was perfect. Relations were perfect. It was all perfect. But then we come to our text and we find the unthinkable happening. Adam rebels against God and sin enters into the world. As we began to look then at our text, more closely at our text, and we look at these three ways in which the lost are enslaved to sin... The first thing that we notice here is that the lost are enslaved to the deception of sin. The lost are enslaved to the deception of sin. Notice how this begins as the man and woman are in the garden. Now comes the serpent. And the serpent says to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree in the gar- of the trees in the garden, excuse me. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, 
you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. So the woman, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she gave also, also gave some to her husband who was with her. The serpent, as we see it, and as Scripture goes on to tell us, especially in, in Revelation, Revelation tells us for certain that the serpent is, is none other than Satan himself. We don't see that in the text, but Scripture comes along and tells us that this is Satan. Now, whether Satan is taking the image of a serpent or possessing an actual serpent, we don't know. It doesn't tell us that, but this is Satan who is coming to them. Another fallen creature of God, Satan who himself has rebelled against God, and he comes to tempt man and woman, Adam and Eve, to sin against God. He comes in deception. And I want you to see this. I want you to see the deception of sin that takes place in our text. First of all, sin comes and questions God. Sin comes questioning God. Did God really say? Did God really say you shall not eat of any of the fruit in the garden? Boy, isn't this what we hear even in our own days? When people question the authority of God in Scripture, did God really say that that's a sin? Or was that just the, the thoughts, the opinions of ancient men from long ago? You see, that's the argument that we hear today, to bring doubt to the Word of God, to the truth of God's Word. Did God say? That's what sin does. Sin comes, and he first begins to question God. Did God say? But sin doesn't stop there. Sin continues on to contradict God. Sin contradicts God. Satan comes in and says, you will not surely die. You will not surely die. And again, that's what sin does to us as we, he comes in tipting us to, to sin against God, to rebel against God. Sin comes in and says, that's really not sin. It's really not sin. Oh, yeah, Scripture says it, but, but God didn't really say that. Someone else said it. You will surely not die. But sin doesn't even stop there. Sin continues on. Sin, sin questions God. Sin contradicts God, but sin goes on and convicts God. Sin goes on to convict God. Oh, the serpent here says, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will actually be open and you will be like God. You see, that's what sin does. Sin questions God. Sin contradicts God. But then sin convicts God. God really doesn't want you to be happy. The reason God doesn't want this in your life is because he doesn't want you to be happy. We need to see this playing out all around us. We need to see this playing out even in our own lives. John D. Rockefeller was once asked by a reporter, how much money is enough? 
Now remember, John D. Rockefeller was the richest man in the world at that time. He was the first billionaire in America. He had more money than anyone else. He, had, he was asked that question, how much money is enough? To which Rockefeller responded, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. And you see, that's the way sin works. You see, sin comes in and sin tells us that what we really need, we don't really need God. Yeah, that's what Scripture says. Scripture says you should have God above everything else. You should worship God before everything else. You should have no other gods before you but God, the one and only true God. But sin says, no, that's not true. It's not God that will bring you happiness. It's not God who will bring you joy. What will really bring you joy are the things of this world. It's like Satan. This apple, this fruit, this is what's going to bring you happiness, Eve. It's what's going to bring you joy. But the deception of sin is that once we obtain whatever it is, that, that fruit that we're longing for, that we're looking for, whether it is success, money, beauty, material possessions, fame, Whatever it may be, whatever your God may be, whatever it is that sin is tempting you to leave God for and draw you away from God, what you will find each and every time is that once you get to that point, once you get a hold of that which you think is going to bring you joy, oh, it may bring you joy for a moment, but like all temporary things of this world, the joy, the happiness is but a moment. And then it fades away. You see, dear friends, sin deceives us. Sin deceives us. Sin says what you need is this thing, not God. But when we get to this thing, this thing will never, ever, ever bring us joy. We're always going to need a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. But God, when we have God, we have everything. And only in God is our joy complete. Sin deceives us. And we are, in our natural condition, we are enslaved to the deception of sin. What Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 tells us, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in, what, in, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That is Satan, following Satan, following the father of deception and lies, following him. Each and every one of us in our, our lost condition outside of Christ, we are enslaved to the deception of sin. Sin comes and tells us what we need is not God, not more of God, but what we need is more things. But it deceives us. As we look out to the world, dear friends, dear Christian. As you look out to your family and friends and your neighbors and you see them, they're struggling, 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 trying to, to get more and more and more of this world. They have bought into the lie of sin. They are enslaved to the deception of sin and they need freedom from that deception. And the only way 
to gain freedom is through Jesus Christ. Oh, that we would have a compassion for the lost to reach them with the gospel of freedom in Jesus. Not only are the lost enslaved to the deception of sin, but we see here also that the lost are enslaved to the expressions of sin. The lost are enslaved to the expressions of sin. Continuing on there, in the next section, verses 8 8 through uh, 13, we see this working its way out. The lost are enslaved to the expressions of sin. And what are the expressions of sin? Number one is shame. The number one expression of sin is shame that we see in this text. Notice what it says here. And as the Lord walked in the cool of the garden, or walked in the garden in the cool of the day, and he called out for man and his wife, they hid himself from his presence. But the Lord then, in verse 9, called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. See, what happened when Adam and Eve sinned against God? When they partook of the forbidden fruit that God had had told them not to eat of? Their eyes were open to sin. And guilt came upon them. Guilt and shame began to to build up upon them. They were ashamed because of their nakedness. You see, that's what sin does. Sin brings in us, builds in us this sense of guilt and shame. But then as shame comes in, Shame quickly transforms into the second expression of sin that we see here in the text, and that is blame. It is blame. When God asked the man, how, uh, how do you know that, how did, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of the, that I, which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave me, God, gave it to me and I ate. You see what he did? Adam is feeling the guilt of sin. The weight of the guilt of sin is upon him. And instead of receiving that guilt and confessing that guilt, Adam shifts the blame. This woman, it's her fault. And this woman is the woman you gave me, God. So God, it's your fault. It's not my fault. It's your fault. It's the woman's fault. And the woman says, oh, no, God, it's not my fault. This creature, this serpent, I bet you could add in there, whom you made, he tricked me. He deceived me, and I ate. You see, that's the way the expression of sin comes out. We feel that weight of sin on our own lives. We have our own sin and our own guilt to bear. We know we have that sense of guilt about us. You think about it. That's why people work so hard to try to please God, to try to work into favor with God, because they have this weight of guilt on their shoulders. But you see, we don't like to bear our own guilt. We want to blame someone else, always. Don't we see that taking place even in our own culture and society today? 
It's always someone else's fault. You're not the one to blame because of your alcohol problem, your drug problem, whatever it is. You're not to blame that's your parents' fault or your grandparents' fault or it's the culture's fault or it's someone else's fault. We never want to take the blame on ourselves, and that's how sin does. It, sin convicts us, right? It, it brings guilt upon us. But we don't like to get the guilt. We can't bear the weight of the guilt. And so what do we do? We cast the guilt off on someone else. It's their fault. It's their fault. Dear friend, let me tell you, your lost friends and your neighbors, they're not going to take responsibility for their sin. They're not. Not outside of Jesus Christ, they're not. They're going to cast the blame on someone else. They may even cast that blame on you. But you need to see that the reason they cast the blame, the reason they get into that is because they are enslaved. They are enslaved to the expressions of sin. They're enslaved to their guilt. And therefore, they're enslaved to have to try to Excuse that guilt and pass it on to someone else. It began with the first two people God created, with Adam and Eve, and it continues on in their offspring right on down to us. The lost are enslaved to the expressions of sin. They're weighed down by guilt and shame. They may not admit it, but they are weighed down by guilt and shame, and they desire to be freed from the burden. And they try to become free of the burden through so many ways. Many of them, maybe even there's some here today, you are trying to break free from the guilt of sin, the shame of sin, by coming and, and being here in this place, in this church building. You may try to, to escape the guilt of sin by giving tithes weekly. You may try to escape the, the, uh, the weight of sin, the guilt of sin, by, by doing all kinds of good things by the world's standards. But all that you do, and all that our lost friends and neighbors do, Never free them from the guilt of sin. The only freedom from sin comes through Jesus Christ. God saw us in our guilt. He saw us in our shame. And He sent Jesus to bear our guilt in our place and die on the cross for us. Freeing us from that guilt and shame so that we might live in Him. Oh, dear friend, look to the lost, see their enslavement, have compassion upon them, and take to them the gospel of freedom. Well, not only are the lost enslaved to the deception of sin. And the expression of sin, but we see here also that the lost are enslaved to the consequences of sin. 
the lost are enslaved to the consequences of sin. You might say, even say, the penalties of sin. What are the consequences of sin? The consequences of sin can be summed up in, in this word, brokenness. The consequences of sin is brokenness, complete brokenness. Look how that plays out and in, in the way the Scripture continues on. As God begins to pronounce the curse of, of sin upon creation, look at the consequences that work out from this. First, there is a, a brokenness in relationships. A brokenness in relationships. He tells the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between her offspring, your offspring and her offspring. Enmity, hostility enters into creation. God had created it perfect. It was all perfect, a perfect creation with perfect relation. But now sin has come in. And because of sin, brokenness has entered in. It begins with a brokenness, a brokenness in relationships hostility comes into the world everything was in love and peace and harmony but hostility comes in i don't know if you were watching the other night with the opening of the olympic games but i noticed there as they were talking about the ceremonies one of the big things that was the emphasis in the ceremony was this idea of peace and harmony all of the all of creation living together in peace and harmony and i thought that was kind of ironic seeing that all of that was taking place in a country who for decades has been divided by hostility enmity for one another you see, in all of creation, we have a desire for peace and harmony. We always look for world peace, world peace, world peace. But world peace will never come in this fallen world. Because this world is, is enslaved to the consequences of sin. There are broken relationships. There's hostility, enmity in God's creation. There's a broken, brokenness in relationship, but there's also a brokenness in health, a brokenness in health, that physical condition. Look what he says to the woman, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing, and pain you shall bring forth children. Going on down to verse 17, as he's talking to the man, you in pain you shall eat of it, of the fruit of the ground all the days of your life pain comes in physical body begins to undergo pain and agony there's a brokenness in the flesh a brokenness in our physical being that's why we grow old that's why we get sick because of this brokenness that's come into creation because of sin. All of creation is under the enslavement of this brokenness. Dear friends, so many of us, we've lost loved ones to illness because of this brokenness. There's a brokenness in relationships. There's a brokenness in health. And there's a brokenness in creation. 
Let me back up here just for a moment. I want to show you also that brokenness in relationship that comes out of verse 16. Here we see again the brokenness in relationship, not just with the relationship of the woman and the beast, not just between man and the creation, the rest of the creation, but also there's a brokenness that comes into play with the relationship of the man and the woman. It says there, the last part of verse 16, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Now, I know some of your, your, many of your translations probably have something to the effect that your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you, probably something like that. I think the ESV gets it right. The, the trouble here is one little preposition in the Hebrew text. It's this little phrase, uh, el ishek, el ishek, which is to or toward for your husband, ishek being your husband. The the preposition is that little word, el. El, what does el mean? And you see, el can mean a number of things when we translate it from Hebrew to English. El can mean to, towards, or for. And that's why you get so many of the translations that, that say your, your, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. But when there is a context of hostility, when there's a context of hostility, L should be translated against. Against. I would ask you, is this a context of hostility? I think so. There's enmity between the the woman and the beast. There's enmity entering into creation. This is a context of hostility. That's why I think the ESV gets it right. Your desire will be contrary against your husband. But he will rule over you as God has ordained man to be the head of the household, the leader in the household. There's this conflict that begins to take place within the family. The very basic uh, picture of relationship on earth, the family. There's this conflict. Don't we see conflict in the family? That's why it's hard to find anyone who's not divorced. Because hostility has entered into the family between man and woman. That broken relationship. There's broken relationships, there's broken health, and then there's broken creation. Verse 17, God tells Adam, you shall not eat of... of Verse 17, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, Adam, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Cursed is the ground. Cursed is creation because of sin. Creation is broken. Creation is broken. That's why we have storms and earthquakes and all the tragedies of this world. Creation is broken And all of this brokenness ultimately ends in the ultimate view of brokenness, the ultimate picture of brokenness, and that is death. By the sweat of your brow you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Oh, dear Christian, the lost around us, they are enslaved to the consequences of sin. We have been freed from the consequences 
Oh yes, we still suffer the effects of sin even here and now, but we have been freed from those consequences. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 55 through 57. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, yes, we still suffer some of the consequences of sin in this life, but we have been freed. We are no longer enslaved to it. We have the hope and the promise in Jesus Christ that one day all of sickness will be wiped out all of sin will be wiped out we will no longer suffer no longer grow old no longer have pain but we will live in perfect peace and harmony in the kingdom of God but our friends out there our, our lost friends our brothers and sisters our our neighbors our family our friends who don't know the hope of Jesus Christ, they're still suffering under the enslavement to the consequences of sin. They have no hope in their life. All they have is this life, and after this life is over, it's all done. They get to go to hell where there's more torment, more pain, more suffering. They are buried under the consequence of sin. Oh, dear friend, the lost are enslaved to the deception of sin. The law, they're enslaved to the expression of sin and the consequences of sin. And their only hope, their only hope for freedom is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We see God pronouncing this very gospel in this text. We'll dig into this more next week, but we see it here, and I want you to see it here even if for a glimpse this morning. Verse 15 says, I will put enmity between you, serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. That her offspring is singular. It's one offspring. He, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Notice that what he does, what the offspring of the woman does, he bruises the head of sin, the head of the serpent, while the serpent bruises his heel. The, the injury to the heel, oh yes, it might hurt, it may sting, but it's only for a moment. We can overcome an injury to our heel, but an injury to the head, that is fatal. What God is getting at here, this is the first glimpse of the gospel of Jesus Christ Dear Eve, from you will come one who will be bruised by the serpent. He will be bruised by sin, but he will crush the head of sin and deal sin its fatal blow. Oh, that was fulfilled in, the Lord, in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When Jesus came to this world, the offspring of Eve, born of the Virgin Mary, who himself was God in human flesh, came and he lived a life of perfect obedience, and yet, though he was without sin, though he was not under the curse of sin, he went to Calvary's cross, and he, began, he allowed the, the, the consequences of sin, the debt of sin, to be poured out upon him. 
And he took it for you and for me. So that in him we might receive the life, the eternal life that he deserved. He died in our place so that we may live with him. And he was raised again to show us and to give us that hope of eternal life if we only believe. Perhaps today there are some here, even today, you are enslaved to sin, looking for freedom. You came here today looking for freedom. You cannot find freedom in yourself. You cannot find freedom in anything in this world. The only way you find freedom from sin is Jesus Christ. Will you trust in Him? Dear Christian, look to your friends and your neighbors. Look to your friends and neighbors. They are lost. They are, they are enslaved to sin. They are enslaved to sin. Enslaved to, to sin's deception. Enslaved to sin's, uh, the, the, all of sin. Expressions of sin and consequences of sin. Have compassion. As the Lord came, the Lord our Savior, He looked on the people who were coming to Him and He had compassion for them for they were like sheep without a shepherd. Have compassion on the lost. You have the message of hope. You have the message of freedom. Have compassion. Open your mouth and speak freedom into their life. And watch God free them. Oh, Heavenly Father, oh, today that we would see who we are to reach. Oh, that we would see the dilemma of the lost. Lord, that we could see them struggling in sin, struggling against sin, enslaved to all the power of sin. But Lord, may we have compassion. We have the message of hope, the message of freedom. If we would just be faithful to open our mouths and speak the truth as you have called us to speak. Oh, Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for freeing us. You could have left us in our depravity. You could have left us in our sin. But Lord, you freed us. And we give you praise and glory and honor for the freedom that you give us in Christ Jesus. Let us not take that for granted. Lord, if there are those today who are still enslaved to sin, Lord, let them break free today. Let them break free from the bondage by trusting in Jesus. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Stand with us if you will.